0: This is the Muscles and Management Podcast, where we build your body and your business. Talking all things training, sports performance, and business for athletes and aspiring coaches to enhance your training and better your career. Muscles and Management is brought to you by Challenger Strength with your host, Jerry DiFilippo. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Episode 69 of the Muscles and Management Podcast. As always, please rate, review, and subscribe uh, always helps out, as you guys know, so I'd appreciate that if you could do that and take a second. Um, I want to take a second to just talk about a couple of our previous episodes, so episode 68 with Ben Brewster, Tread Athletics, uh, great stuff from Ben, um, you know, talking a lot about Pitching specifics, obviously, but also just some general sports performance tips with queuing, instructing, kind of giving the athletes the uh, understanding of what you're trying to get them to do and the kind of why behind it um, and, and more so kind of making sure they understand the how of what they're doing and why it's going to help them improve. So check that out, episode 68, uh, Meathead Monday, quarantine training tips was this past Monday episode 67. So basically me breaking down a bunch of tips for you to do at home or things that you can do at home to help, um, you know, kind of train strength, hypertrophy, speed, power, etc., Um, while, you know, you don't maybe have equipment and, and kind of just some general kind of guidance in, you know, keeping schedule and and still working towards your goals. And, and you know, not only what you need to work on personally, but as humans and our body, you know, what kind of can diminish the quickest and what we need to make sure we're staying on top of the most. So check that out. And then the previous week, our Wednesday interview episode, Texas tech football associate strength coach, Brandon Howard, episode 66. He was great. Just a lot of good stuff in the general sense of strength, conditioning and sports performance. So check that out. If you haven't yet coming up, This week uh, on Wednesday, we will have Billy Anderson, University of South Carolina, um, head of sports performance, particularly working with the baseball team and golf golfers as well. That'll be episode 70. A lot of good stuff there for rotational athletes. And again, the usual general sports performance stuff. We talk a lot of just good, uh, you know, important topics in the field. So check that one out as well. He was great. And then coming up the following week, I will have Kevin Poppy. I know I said these Meathead Monday episodes would be kind of solos, but given the, the con you know, the, the current state that we're in, uh for lack of a better word. I'm having Kevin drop in to kind of tag team this training without weight topic with me for episode 71. And that's next week's Meathead Monday, um, kind of bringing his perspective in what he's doing in with his athletes and kind of how, uh, you know, we're two trainers that are using a lot of the same uh, strategies for our athletes, you know, when they don't have weight. So kind of kind of break down all of the things you can do to maximize what you have. And if you don't have anything at all, it's going to still be helpful to you. So uh, be on the lookout for that. All right, so as I advertised, this is going to be an entire episode on building your first step. So I would say the reason I wanted to do this is one of the biggest misconceptions people have, and I still hear it to this day, like, Just because as a strength coach or strength coaches, we can talk to each other and a lot of us understand that this isn't actually the way these things work, meaning like some of the fallacies and missing, you know, misnomers and misinterpretations of stuff doesn't mean that it's still not believed out in the other, you know, the outside part of the realm and and doesn't mean that it doesn't need to be addressed because of that. So, um I wanted to kind of just do an entire episode of this, me just kind of giving tips on the first step. But in addition to the tips, I kind of wanted to dispel any kind of common things that people think of or they think they want when it comes to improving acceleration. Um, Above all else, one of the biggest things that I hear personally from some parents and athletes, and I also sometimes still see on social media, it's actually funny I still deal with it more in person than I think I see it on social media, which I think is a good thing. It means that the masses are becoming more educated and um, it's easy for me to kind of educate and and try to explain to the people that I deal with in person, kind of what they should be looking for and what they should be seeking to improve. But um, you know, that, that's easy for me. I can do that. So it, it it's kind of a good thing that um, it's becoming more understood on, on social media in that sense. But even so, some still misunderstand it and they have the idea that, you know, they want or desire, and I even hear coaches sometimes say, hey, this guy's struggling, he's slow on the ice, on the field, on the court, whatever it is, um, you know, they need to get their feet quicker in order to get faster. And I guess the, the common idea, and you could think about that old Fred Flintstone um, gif of him, you know, rotating his feet really, really, really quickly um, in his kind of cart moving really fast. And, you know, not going anywhere for a little while. Like he's revving up and then he shoots out of there. Like that's not how speed works, right? Like if anything we know about speed is that it does not work that way. But many still have this idea that they want to get their feet moving and getting, you know, putting them down and getting their feet down and then back up as fast as possible. Um, they think that, you know, the quicker they can move their feet, the better off they will be in terms of accelerating. But if we look at, you know, improving acceleration and your first few strides, you know, we really, if we peel back the layers of the onion, that is acceleration and look at what goes into a successful first few strides and what goes into successful acceleration, we can quickly see that, you know, that goal of moving your feet faster, especially in, um, acceleration is something that we shouldn't really be, you know, shooting for. That'd be like the, one of the biggest things we're looking to do. Uh, in in addition to, to how they try to achieve that, I get to why that's ineffective. I'll get to why that's ineffective as well. But, um, You know, before I really kind of get to any mechanics, I want to talk about like some of the the actual scientific, uh, and and sports performance, you know, non-negotiables when it comes to, um, acceleration and, and building a first stride. And the first one is the idea that when we are accelerating, we are trying to move from a static position. So what that means is you're, 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 you're set, you're not moving already, like there's no energy kind of already building up or, or getting anywhere, and we are trying to move our body from a set position. With that said, there is more raw force displacement required, so the, the, the force we put into the ground is it needs to be higher um, in order to get us to move from a static position. Thus, the ground contact times are a little longer. Why is that? You need more time to apply force to the ground to get enough net impulse to move your mass. So think about it this way, uh, a vertical jump versus a heavy back squat. In the back squat, the load is heavier, so you need to exert potentially uh, more force, but it's done a little slower because there's just more net force being exerted to move that load versus, let's just say, a uh, regular box jump where, you know, there isn't that load attached to your back and uh, you're naturally going to be able to move a little faster and, you know, it's easier to display a little bit less force, a little more rapidly as we know, with the force velocity curve, as the force goes down, usually the velocity component will increase and the rate of which we produce force can go a little higher. So now obviously there are ways to which we try to improve our ability to exert a high amount of force in a smaller window. But if you look at the two opposite ends of the spectrum, in terms of your raw force from that squat, and let's say a box jump, um, you kind of get the idea of like, think of the, it, it's obviously not the squat. It's not close to being a squat. It's still a sprint, but like, think that the force applied and the time it takes uh, to exert that force early on in the acceleration portion of a sprint is way further along the force side of the curve than it is when you are in top speed and you are exerting uh, force more rapidly and with lesser ground contact time. So that's the first thing. Uh, the next thing, this whole foot speed thing. So last I checked, the feet are connected to the legs and they act in response to the hips, knees, and ankles. Like the feet don't move independently. They're not like out there doing their own mariachi dance or, uh, the cha-cha slide. And, uh, actually Drake just released, released, I think it's the, uh, the 2C shuffle, something. It's, I don't want to mispronounce it, but, uh, and I'm a big Drakes fan. I'm just not sure on the pronunciation of that, but, um, even that dance, his feet are connected to his legs. Um, and they're moving as in a response to what the hips, knees, and ankles are doing. So meaning there is a relationship to the rate in which your feet contact the ground uh, directly corresponded to the rate in which your lower half of your body moves through flexion and extension. So what I mean by that is when you put a stride into the ground, let's say you're contacting the ground, your ankle is slightly flexed, your knee is slightly flexed, and so are your hips. And as they move from that flexion position or closer to flexion position to extension, the that, and that a lot of that is dependent upon the rate of force so the rate in which you can produce force is how well you can move from flexion to extension that is what moves your foot off the ground into your next stride the foot itself isn't just independently saying hey i'm touching the ground all right i'm not touching the ground i'm touching the ground i'm not touching the ground oh let me just do a lot of really quick moving drills with my feet touching and, and, and coming on and off the ground as fast as possible because that's gonna help me get faster no no What's going to help you get faster is improving the rate in which your limbs can display power and move into their next output. So as we know, rate of force is slightly lower, as I previously mentioned, but the force is higher in acceleration so that we can overcome gravity and initiate our body from a static position. So our feet stay on the ground just a little bit longer so we can generate and apply force. So above all else, this just tells you like if your goal is to improve your acceleration, you know, the rate of, you know, your feet leaving the ground, which would be kind of just maybe can lead to, you know, not generating enough force or not putting as much force as you possibly can uh, and kind of leaving more in the tank. Uh, that shouldn't be your first goal. You know, trying to use drills or ways to quote unquote, quicken your feet and how fast they touch and move the ground, move from the ground is not only like a fallacy. So I already explained like your feet are attached to your body, but like you wouldn't want that to be the primary goal of leaving the ground as fast as possible when it comes to accelerating. So think about it this way. Ladder drills, quick feet through the cones and stuff like, yeah, they have a role in footwork, like a position specific stuff in football, things like that. I've never said they don't. They can be used as a warm up, whatever you want. Like, listen, I wouldn't use them, period. Like, I don't have any of those in my facility. But like, if you want to make the argument, you know, I'll play devil's advocate here. If you want to make the argument that like, you know, you can use them as a warm up. All right, fine. I'm not going to like beat you to death there with that one. But just from a force application perspective, you know, acceleration, like I already said, like, there is so much dependent upon the force you can input into the surface that you are moving. I don't care if you're in skates on the ice, you're on a court, you're on a football field, the baseball field, whatever it is. Like You need to exert more force. So why would I try to do something where if I'm moving through a ladder, if you've done a ladder drill, you know this to be a fact, there's really no force applied in that. Like It's more of a tap dancing ritual. You're putting your foot down, you're picking it up and you're putting it back down, but you're not really like Getting into the ground, like your hips aren't required to, to, and your legs aren't required to displace force. So, in it from a, an agility perspective, if you want to call them agility ladders, they're not really accomplishing much in that sense. You're not exerting enough force for them to actually, you know, have your body move from you know one position to another. And if you want to look at them in the speed sense, they're not requiring you enough. Especially if you're looking at an acceleration standpoint, they're not require or any speed standpoint for that matter, but especially acceleration. They're not allowing you or they're not requiring you better yet to put enough force or any force at all into the ground, which is a big part of how we accelerate effectively. So think about that when you next time you try to do these, you know, drills to quicken your feet and how fast they can touch the ground, um, you know, that isn't really accomplishing much, you know, it's just not um, above all else. And I'm going to get to this a little bit later, but like sprinting is the biggest key to getting faster, right? Right. Um, But with that said, let's take a look at some of the more technical and finer aspects of the mechanics of acceleration. So first and foremost, and I I talk about this early because it's something important and you see a lot of athletes struggle with it is the body angle and the shin angle. So you see a lot of athletes kind of rush out of acceleration. They pop up really early, and what this does is it kind of doesn't let them set themselves up for success down the line. So if you rush out of acceleration by popping up early, you can leave, leave yourself with some holes later on. Not only that, you aren't letting yourself get in an optimal position to overcome gravity and get into a, a position of you know achievable high high level acceleration. What I mean by that is. We get the angle that we are in when we accelerate because like I said, we're coming from a static position. So we need to exert a lot of force, but the lower we get or the better of an angle we're on. So don't get confused with the idea of a false angle. I like to think of a false angle or explain it as like athletes think that slumping their shoulders forward or kind of bending at the waist is the idea of getting low and, and it can create a lot of issues. It's more of your entire body. Like think about when you do a deadlift and your, your spine is in neutral position you know, we're getting in that neutral position. Our body is kind of in a straight line and it's, it's, um, almost like if the ground and your feet were to meet, your body would create a 45 degree angle if the ground was like the bottom of that angle. So, um, the reason we do this, like I said, is to overcome gravity and, and to be able to apply enough net, uh, propulsive forces in the linear direction. So straight ahead. So if we pop straight up, we can't really you know, get into top speed right away and start putting impulses down into the ground like we would in top speed because we have yet to get moving. So important to remember that uh, shin angle and body angle you want in that positive angle. So like I said, 45 degrees, think about like your ankle uh, would kind of raise up like on a slope to your knee and that's positive shin angle as I mentioned, get linear. So energy directed more straight ahead, not as upright, uh, a- as a way to kind of help overcome gravity. So that's an important one. Um, your stride direction and your recovery leg drive. So these kind of work hand in hand. The recovery leg is going to cross a little lower due to the goal of the knee being more kind of straight ahead versus up, uh, in the sense of like, if you're in top speed, you're vertically driving your knee a little more, uh, kind of, punching it to the air a little bit versus, you know, when you're in acceleration, you want to take your knee uh, and your thigh, almost imagine if there was like a straight a wall straight ahead of you. Um, we're doing this in order to kind of keep us, you know, honest in terms of the angle we're getting. Um, and you're going to also notice that, uh, you know, the thigh, so to speak, will become perpendicular to the torso. So what that means is if I drive my knee and, and think about it now, think about your, your knee into your hips, up to your shoulder. So if I had it like this, um, you know, this portion being my, my thigh and, and this being my torso, I would want it kind of 90 degrees or perpendicular to each other, right? If I get too much knee drive going up, it gets like this and that can kind of one, limit my, uh, you know, hip movement, but two, can also make us overstride or be a, a direct result of overstriding, which would hurt our ability to get our ground contact at a place that we want it to be. So I bring you to my next point. Uh, you know, the stalling, stalling as a pitfall of overstriding. So, um, as I mentioned, be careful not to overstride. So this kind of can occur when we drive our knee too vertically. Uh, as I mentioned with the angle I just demonstrated or, or and talked about or leap into over exaggerated extension. So I tweeted about this yesterday, but when I was an early, a coach early on. I was really kind of dead set on, um, you know, achieving crazy, really, really good extension of the first initial stride leg and the subsequent strides. And that, what that can do is if we over stride, so, um, think about it, our knee and our, our, our recovery leg doesn't maybe drive more straight ahead versus up, right? If it drives up, um, there's a tendency that I can't punch back and land my contact underneath my hip. So what I do is, My foot lands more flat-footed versus being on the ball of my foot. And think about this as my shin. If my shin lands this way, but I know that I need to be here, when I make contact at the ground, my body is now behind this. I need to go, this happens, this happens, this happens. So now my body's stalling to let this shift, let this shift, let this shift, and then I go. If I make contact here, I go right into it. So. Being careful to get more through the ball of your foot and not over stride so that we can land under or behind our hip early in acceleration in order to allow us to proceed right into our next stride versus having to stall so that our weight and center of mass can get over our stride foot. Um, as I mentioned too, like a, at that ground contact, try to stride back, stab back at the ground. Uh, if we're really elite, we can probably get behind the hip that's going in our first couple strides. But if you're not elite, getting under it, it is perfect or, or, you know, great and good enough. So get under or behind the hip so that you can make contact in a favorable position. So you're already making ground contact at the position you want to be in. So you can go right into your next stride. If you're not there already, your body is going to hold itself up. So it can kind of shift into that position to allow yourself to stay in that ideal acceleration angle. So Tying things up a little bit here, we talked a little about quick feet, um, kind of what the goals of acceleration are, you know, from a scientific standpoint and why that really changes how we should look at acceleration, how we think about training it. Now let's talk some actual strategies to improve acceleration via force production and power. So these are all things that I use personally. Uh, the degree to which I use them depends on the athlete, their training age, like how long they've been going at it, what some of their deficiencies are, what the, some of their, uh, what they're really efficient with. Uh, and, and, things like that. So obviously like you're not going to get a blueprint here of like, okay, like use this with this athlete, use that with that athlete. Like that is really specific to kind of, you know, how you analyze the athlete, but I will tell you some things generally speaking that can help improve acceleration. I mentioned this before, and I have this on my outline written is this sprint, sprint, sprint above all else. There is no greater plyometric effect or better way to achieve mechanical efficiency in sprinting than the sprint itself. So what I say by plyometric effect is like it it's almost impossible or I think it actually might be impossible to duplicate the power output and plyometric effect we get when we make ground contact during a sprint. Like you'd be hard pressed to materialize another variation or another thing in the weight room or on the field that would do what the sprint does in terms of the plyometric effect. And when I say plyometric effect, like improving your ability to display force, like sprinting at max speed is one of the best ways to do that. You know, they're it's speaking of mechanics. So, like, what better way to achieve mechanical efficiency than to do the activity itself? With that said, loaded sprinting, and I use this a lot, resisted sprints. So instead of chasing quicker feet, you know, we use loaded sprints to increase the force being displaced. So think about it: having a heavier starting load, like your body has to be pulling something greater than what your normal body weight would be, will coax you into exerting more force into your initial strides. Additionally, though, the load also gets us into better positioning. So try to sprint standing straight up with a load attached to you behind you and you're not going anywhere. So it's a really good way, a, an easy way to kind of force the athlete, like giving them an environment that puts them in the positions we're looking for when it comes to acceleration mechanics of, you know, positive shin angle, ground contact, etc. a really easy way to do that. But as it ties back to my original point, the loaded sprinting and the heavier load will get us to exert more force. Um, into the early parts of our sprint. So for a novice or a person who has a lot of trouble exerting enough force to get themselves going from that static position, these are really effective. And obviously, uh, how I would load that, you know, the heavier load. So I talk a lot about the, the study showing 60 to 100% roughly of our body weight being, you know, good load ranges for improving uh sprint speed. I like to think of the heavier uh, load as more effective for the early portions of acceleration due to the nature of it requiring more force being put into the ground. So if you struggle with that, get a little bit of a heavier load that you can actually sprint with effectively. So the hundred percent of the body weight is just high enough where uh, you know, it makes you elicit more force, but it's low enough where you can still run with pretty um, consistent mechanics. And fast enough to kind of, uh, you know, still work on a a bit of that rate of force. Uh, You can use straight up heavy dragging to kind of fill a bucket early on if you're super deficient. So if you have trouble putting any sort of force into the ground or you're really deficient in that area, heavy dragging of a sled, you know, it's really slow. Uh, it obviously has the benefits of the angle that we talked about, but it's going to be slow enough where you're really focused. Think about it like as the, you know, sprinting equivalent of doing a heavy squat. Uh, it's going to force you to put a lot of force, no pun intended into the ground early on. So if that's something you're deficient in really early pushing or dragging heavy sleds can be really effective for that. Um, while you're home though, during quarantine, so I did say, I wanted to give some, some tips on how to, you know, work these things while you're home using bands. If you have like a brother you live with or your father can hold it, your mother, whatever it is, and having a partner kind of hold a band and kind of just follow you while applying resistance to you. So like they're pulling that band back as you run is a good way to do it. And, you know, you can also set yourself to a fixed surface while at home. So, you know, safely fasten and make sure it's really set up well, you know, a band around a, a, a post. Your, your bumper of your truck, whatever it is so that you can run against it and, and really have something to make you put more force into the ground and, and work on some of those mechanics. And obviously, you know, no matter where you are, you can sprint. So whether it's in your driveway, your street, whatever it is, make sure you're sprinting. Uh, you know, those are ways you can do that. But the loaded part is something that people have a lot of trouble with in terms of trying to find ways to do that while they're home and, and a band, if you have a partner or can do it to a fixed surface is really a good way to go about that. Additionally, I have had some success and I enjoy linear plyometrics. I so think more um, things that, you know, force you to go straight ahead versus up. So like a vertical would be up, a broad jump would be straight ahead. I love unilateral broad jumps as a way to focus on that first stride, the knee drive uh, we're looking for, and just the overall just input and, and output of force into the ground uh, on that drive leg and bilateral as well. But I think we can get a little more specific if we go to unilateral, eventually it, it kind of relates directly to the sprint and that, you know, those stride leg a little bit better. Um, and to kind of wrap things up here, uh, a couple of physical and verbal cues and constructs that I'll use to improve mechanics. So uh, we have a wall in my facility that's straight ahead of us with a logo on it. So it's really easy to say, Hey, take your, you know, your fire knee through that wall. If they're under, you know, uh, under striding or if they're kind of taking their their recovery leg too high or too vertically, that's a really good way to kind of get them to do that. So even if you don't have a wall, you can kind of act as if there's an imaginary wall uh, straight ahead of you. I've had a lot of success with that. Be stabbing back at the ground. That is what I alluded to before as making sure that we're making ground contact under or behind our hip if possible. So think about them taking the knee to the wall, the thigh to the wall, and then driving it right back down underneath their hip is a really good way to achieve good, really solid ground contact positioning. You can also use a cone or a low hurdle. So if they're not extending enough, if they're not exerting enough, you know, force into their strides, using a cone or a low hurdle, uh, a low, really low, if it makes it too high, you're going to achieve either a swing around it or just too much vertical drive, which you don't want. Uh, that can make them kind of make sure that they're getting enough knee drive to get where they need to be. So, so that's a good physical kind of um, construct to, you know, help them self-organize versus making them think too much with a verbal cue. And I also have had a lot of success with getting through the toe on the contact uh, of the ground early on acceleration. So that kind of goes hand in hand with stabbing back at the ground. It's really hard to get through your toe and not being good or the ball of your foot and not being good position. If you're more towards the back of your foot, you're probably going to be too uh You know, vertical and have your, your shin not be in the angle that you want it to be and your foot's not going to be making contact under or behind your hip. And, you know, you're going to have that stalling effect that we alluded to before. So, um, that kind of wraps things up here. I I hope that was helpful. Um, definitely if you want to go back and listen and just, you know, jot notes down on this, there's a lot here, uh, that I think could benefit from the mechanical standpoint, the, you know, kind of explanation of what quick feet are and if they're really something we need to be looking for. Spoiler alert! And if you've listened to this already, it's not a spoiler. They're not something we should be looking for. Uh, and then just some of the, the strategies to improve force production for acceleration and building that first stride, and you know the idea of using plyometrics and some you know physical constructs and, and verbal cues to improve mechanics. So uh, I hope you guys enjoyed that. As I said before, look forward to Wednesday's episode with uh, Billy Anderson. I think you guys are going to love that one. Uh, and as always, I will talk to you guys next time. Peace. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Muscles and Management podcast brought to you by Challenger Strength. I'm your host, Jared D. Filippo, signing off on the show that's changing the way we view training, sports performance, and business.